0: You're listening to The Promised Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. We love you, Jesus. God, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We set our attention, our affection fully on you in this time. Jesus, speak to us. In your word. Holy Spirit, do what you do best, which is reveal Jesus. Lord, we want to see you. We want to know you. We want to experience you, God. We we ask that you would move powerfully today, that lives would be transformed today, souls would be saved today, bodies would be healed today, people would be set free. Come and move powerfully today, Lord. We give you all glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. At the Promise Church, you hear us say this a lot, but we want to say it a lot for you to hear it and be get, get familiar with it. But we exist as a church to see lives transformed, cities saved, and nations won by being people of His presence. We genuinely believe that. We want to see it, and we have seen it, and we believe God is going to continue to do a transforming work in people's lives, that we believe that God has sent us into cities to see lives transformed, to see neighborhoods and and communities and cities transformed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe today Jesus is here, and he wants to do it today, again, and in your life. That God wants to transform hearts. That God wants to heal bodies. God wants to set people free from addictions and sin. God wants to move powerfully in people's lives. He is the only answer and the only solution to all of the situations and issues of all of mankind. We believe it. We've seen it in our own lives personally. We have since tasted and experienced the goodness and love and power and transforming work of the grace of God in our own lives and we want to tell you about it and we want to have you experience it for yourself. And this is why we are alive and this is what we believe God has called us to do and what he wants to do in you. That's a good spot to say amen. 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 I've shared this before in Matthew 16. Jesus is with his disciples. He's walking with them and he asks them the all-important, one of the most important questions of all time and he says to them, Hey, who do you say that I am? At first he asked them, hey, what what do people say to them? Who do people say that I am? What does man say that I am? And some said, well, you're John the Baptist. You're one of the prophets of like the Old Testament. And then Peter has this divine revelation when Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? am?" And he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the promised king that was to come and make everything right and redeem us and, and, and rule and reign. And Peter was blessed in that moment. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, now you are Peter. On this revelation of who I am as the Christ, as the Messiah, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell don't stand a chance to be able to withstand my ever-growing, ever-advancing church. And this is what Jesus is still asking us today. Who do you say that I am? He's asking you that question this morning. Who do you say that I am. What say you of the man Jesus Christ? It's the biggest question that we can answer in our lives of who do we think Jesus is? Our eternity rides on who we believe him to be. If you get Jesus right, if you have the proper perspective and knowledge and recognition of who Jesus is, most likely you're going to have, in a sense, a proper. Theology. Theology sounds like a very big technical word. Essentially it is the study of God or the belief of God of how you see God. If you get Jesus right, you're more than likely going to begin to believe other truths of of, of God in other ways. You're going to realize if he is the son of God, that means he has a father our Heavenly Father, if He is the Christ, that means He's been anointed by the Spirit. In one moment of recognizing these things, you see the Trinity fully displayed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus, and you have Him as your Lord and Savior, and He has satisfied your soul, you will recognize that in Him you have everything that you need. In him is all that we would ever long for or need in this life. There is no other person like Jesus. He is the God-man. He is fully God and fully man at the same time. There is no one else like him. There is no other God or no other man who tried to create a religion that made the claims Jesus made and was able to actually back them up. There is no other God that came to the earth to, for their creation and died in their place as them for them. Not only did he come and did he die for us, but he actually backed everything up with what he said about himself and everything that he said was going to happen by being raised from the dead and still being alive today. We don't serve a dead God, we don't serve uh, just a list of teachings and rules and rituals and practices that we're supposed to follow. We follow and know personally in relationship a living God who loves us deeply, who wants us to know him personally, deeply. Jesus not only said he was going to die and then actually die, and it's witnessed and recorded, but then raised from the dead and appeared over a 40-day period to over 500 people to show them that he was alive. I don't know about you, but I don't care probably what nation in the world that you're in, if there's 500 eyewitnesses of the same thing, that's probably going to be held up in a court of law. 500 people saw Jesus raised from the dead after he came back to life. It's amazing. It's powerful. One of the, one of the best quotes about Jesus and who in us, in a sense, our perspective of him and defining him and who he is and our belief in him is by C.S. Lewis. It says, he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. Which one is he to you? He's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. <laughs> Because the things that he said and the things that he did, if, it, if it's not true, he's crazy. If it is true, then we either choose him and receive him as Lord or we must reject him completely. There's no middle ground. I want to read a passage of scripture to you, one of my favorite stories in, in the whole Bible, John 18. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 18. John 18, verse 1. Here Jesus is with his disciples. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to be arrested and put on a really a fake trial. And he's been praying in the garden for the last few hours. And it says this, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, "'Who is it you want?' Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. Please imagine with me this moment, this scene, and what took place here. First of all, you have this group, this detachment of soldiers with weapons going out in their minds to arrest a rebel leader who was trying to uh, usurp the the political leaders of the day, possibly even, even Caesar himself, and stirring up an uprising and a rebellion, and they're going out with weapons to arrest the leader of this movement. And so there's a lot of them, and they're coming out at night to get him. And here is Jesus with his disciples, and he's been praying, and he knows what's coming. Normally, the leader of a, of a rebellious movement wouldn't run out to greet the people coming to arrest him. Normally, he would be like, guys, they're coming for me. we got to go. Come on, let's go right now. And they'd run out the other way. Or they'd like, he'd be like, guys, grab your stuff, grab your swords, your spears, your bow and arrow. Let's take them out. This is our moment right here. And they would charge and, ah, bloodshed and all this wonderful stuff. That would be the normal response in that moment. Here Jesus comes to them and says, who is it that you're looking for? Who do you want? And he, they, they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says these three words, I am he. And at the power behind those three words, a whole group of angry soldiers fall down under the power of god fall down under the power of the holy spirit in charismatic pentecostal world they were slain in the holy ghost and they picked themselves back up and they're like what just happened and he says to them uh, again who are you looking for jesus of nazareth oh, that's me again i am he Think about it for one second, not only did Jesus do completely the opposite of a normal man, a normal reaction, he comes to them, greets them with the power of God, and says prophetically, I believe, to all of humanity, who are you looking for? I am he, I'm the one you're really looking for. I'm the one you're really looking for. And in me and from me and through me is a power, as a love that cannot be defined, that cannot be explained. And when you experience me, it will knock you off your feet. In one moment, Jesus declared, I am he. And a group of who knows how many soldiers fall down. In those words, I am he. He is declaring The words, I am, which in the Old Testament is a connection back to the name of God that was revealed to Moses in the burning bush when he called Moses to be the deliverer of the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And he declared to them his name, Yahweh, that he is who he is. And that he in that moment is saying, I am God. You're coming to arrest God. How foreign, how crazy, how amazing. Not only did he try to, he didn't try to run and hide. He didn't try to go attack them. When Peter comes with his sword, his sword, and he whacks off one of the guard's ears, thinking that he was going to do something amazing for Jesus in that moment and protect him, Jesus says, Peter, what are you doing? Put away your sword. Grabs the man's ear off the ground and puts it back on the man's head and heals him. This is our Jesus He comes in a way that you don't expect. He moves in a way that you wouldn't anticipate or or really look for. But I'm telling you, he is the one you're looking for. And he still asks us the question today. Who is it you want? Who are you looking for? What are you looking for? What are you looking for in this life? Are you looking for your career or that next promotion or your salary, your income to be something that satisfies you? Are you looking to that bottle, that drink, that substance, that, that drug to be the thing that numbs you and satisfies you? Are you looking to that man or that woman to fulfill you and to satisfy you and complete you? Are you looking for that status and that symbol and that recognition? Are you looking to, to reach some pinnacle of humanity and society to be able to have some kind of satisfaction and peace and joy and fulfillment. I'm telling you, you're not going to find what you're really looking for. You're not going to find what you really need anywhere else but besides in Jesus. Shortly after this moment, and Jesus is arrested, and he goes on a trial before the priests, and then he goes before Pilate, the Roman governor. In John 19, we pick up the story, and It says, after he's talked with Pilate, sorry, my pulpit is extremely unstable. Don't worry, Jesus is the rock. The pulpit may be shaky, but not him. All right, I'm going to try to read this while it's moving. Praise God. I might need to get this fixed. (laughs) Facilities request, please. All right. John chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged had him brutally beaten to the point of death where with the cat of nine tails a man's flesh was ripped to shreds off of his body. Jesus is brutally beaten in this moment. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. These were not rose bush thorns. They were multiple inches long thornbush thorns. They Uh, They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, "'Hail!' King of the Jews, mocking him, and they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. I don't know why you guys want to end this man. I don't know why you guys want to kill him. I don't see any reason for what you're trying to do here. But here he is, when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to, said to them, to the crowd, here is the man. Even a pagan, non-God-believing Roman governor prophetically declared to all of humanity, their present and for the future to come, hey, here's the man. Here is the man that you need. Here is the man that you're looking for. The injustice of all of humanity has been poured into him. He deserves. He doesn't deserve this. He doesn't deserve to die. But for some reason, you all want to kill him. Verse 36, after Jesus is on that cross and he suffocates and he cries out in his last breaths, it is finished, and gives up his spirit, a Roman soldier takes a spear and pierces his side and blood and water flow out and... That Roman soldier, even in that moment, how Jesus died, declared, wow, surely this man is the Son of God. And then this is what it says in verse 36 of chapter 19. These things happened so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another Scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. You and I, because of our sins... You and I, because all of us have done things in selfishness, in pride, in fear, all of us have done things in rebellion, in rebellion against God, it, we have been the ones that pierced him. And Jesus came in love for us, came as us and took our place on the cross, became sin though he was completely perfect, tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin and died in our place. And as the scripture says, we are invited into a place, we are invited into a life of looking upon the one who was pierced. Looking upon the one who was pierced for us. I fully believe with all my heart that if we look to Jesus, if we put our attention, our affection, if we put our eyes on him, our our life is completely oriented around him and in him and we pursue Him, and we seek Him, and we connect with Him, and we know Him, and we, and we are walking with our full affection and a heart towards Him, then every situation, every problem we face, we will be able to face it with, with a solution, with a joy, with a love, with a peace that is beyond anything this world has to offer. I fully believe that Jesus is the answer to our families. He's the answer to our marriages. He's the answer to our finances. He's the answer to our health. He's the answer to our peace or the lack thereof. He's the answer to every part of our lives. He is it. You can try everything else. You might even be in this place and think you've tried church, tried Jesus, tried religion. I'm telling you, you may have Tried something, some system, some structure. But when you really encounter the real Jesus, who he really is as a man, who is in love with you, and you experience his love and his forgiveness and his freedom, your life will be transformed and you'll never be the same. And you'll stop looking for anything else because everything that you wanted, everything that you needed is found in him. Most of the problems in our lives, most of the issues going on around us in our world... Is because we are not looking to Jesus. Uh, just recently, I was with my daughters, and you know, one of the wonderf- some of the wonderful uh, COVID protocols that were going on around them, and they asked me, "Why do we have to do this? This doesn't make any sense." I said, "Amen, preach it, sister." And they're like, "Why do? Why do we do these things? Why? Why? Why is the government doing these things? You know, for example." Mandatory things for vaccinations and mandatory things for COVID tests and all these wonderful things. And I said, well, honey, the, the longer a government and a society doesn't want God and, be, and drifts away from God, the crazier and less common sense there is. That when, when people begin to not look to God for anything and they begin to become more and more godless, the more and more crazy things get. This is how it works. It's the same for our lives. When we think that we have the answers, when we look to ourselves to find ourselves, when we look to ourselves for, for, to, to find what we are looking for and what we are needing, when we think that you know, this other thing or this other substance, this other status, this other person, they're going to be the thing that we need, and we are looking all elsewhere besides Jesus Then all of a sudden our life begins to crumble and and be shaky and have all kinds of things going on. This is what happened when the original sin entered the world. Adam and Eve were surrounded by all of the abundance, blessing, and goodness of God in the garden. They walked with God face to face. They had everything that they could ever need. And in one moment, the devil comes to them in the form of a snake and a serpent and deceives them and makes them believe and makes them think that they didn't have enough that they didn't have everything, that God was holding out on them. And he said to them, if you eat this fruit, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit, because if you eat it, then you'll become like him. They were already like him. They couldn't become any more like him. They were made in his image and likeness. They thought God was hiding something from them. And God was like, no, have everything. All of this is yours to enjoy. All of this is for you to have just as this one tree, because I want you to choose me every day. I want you to love me for me every day, and you're not going to be a robot. I'm going to give you free will, but I'm going to give you all of these other things for you to enjoy with me. And the one thing that they didn't have, the one thing they couldn't have, they thought that that's what they needed because they were actually not satisfied with what they had with God. You see, sin sin is what we do when we aren't satisfied in God. When we aren't satisfied in God is when when we begin to drift away from God in sin. Psalms 10, 4 says this. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him, does not seek God. In all of his thoughts, there is no room for God. How often do you think about God through your day? How often do you recognize your dependency and your need for God as you go throughout your life? Humanity as a whole does not think that it needs God. There is no room for God in their life, in their heart, in their affections, in their time. And that pride produces more and more wickedness. Humility is actually recognizing your need of God and saying, God, you can have all the room that you want in my life. In fact, my whole life is your room. Come and live in it. Even for Christians, this is possible. If a scientist can lose sight of the creator when studying and experimenting with the earth and with mankind, then a Christian can even lose sight of Jesus while attending worship services and while reading their Bible. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 40 says this, For my Father's will, this is Jesus speaking, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. You see here, Jesus is saying, looking and believing are the same thing. if you will look to me, and believe in me, you will have eternal life. This is the Father's desire, the Father's will. And this is Jesus' heart for us, is that we would look to Him and receive real life from Him. In John chapter three, Jesus is hanging out with a Pharisee, a Jewish teacher of the law of God, named Nicodemus. And he's having a conversation with with him. And he points back to a story in the Old Testament that he knew Nicodemus would know very well. And it's a story in the book of Numbers where the people of Israel are in the wilderness and they began to rebel against God. And so poisonous snakes broke out in their camp and many of them were getting bitten by these venomous snakes and they were dying and they were sick. And the people cried out to Moses and they cried out to God for, for saving and for healing and for help. And so God speaks to Moses and he says... Okay, Moses, what you're going to do is you're going to take this bronze serpent that you form out of, out of bronze and you're going to put it on a pole or really it was shaped in a cross. You're going to put it on this pole and everyone who looks to it will be healed. And so Moses does that. He fashions this bronze snake, puts it on this pole in, in the middle of nowhere and the entire nation that was bitten and, and, and sick looks to that and they are instantly healed in that moment. And and Jesus said to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes, everyone that looks to him and believes in him may have eternal life in him. You see we've all been snake bitten. We've all been bitten by the snake. We've all been poisoned with this poison called sin. All of us born into it. And the only remedy, the only solution, the only healing for it, the only forgiveness available for it is in looking to Jesus, the one who was placed on the cross, the Son of Man, who came as a man, fully God, fully man, and took our place. And if we look to him and believe in him and give him our life, we will receive from him real life, eternal life, so we can see here that looking and believing, they're synonymous terms. Looking in the Old Testament is, the, is identical to believing in the New Testament Christ. They are the same thing. While Israel looked with their external eyes upon a bronze snake, you and I are, are looking, believing is, our, is done from our heart unto the, unto the Lord, unto Jesus. One of my favorite men of all time, A.W. Tozer, said this, faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. Faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. See, what God looks for in humanity and what he is looking to see in us isn't much. What he is drawn to, what he is attracted to is way different than what the world is. All he is looking for is a hungry heart that wants him. All he's looking for is a humble heart that wants him. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus makes this statement. He says, unless you come to me like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you come to me humble, full of wonder, expectancy, full of faith, like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And then later on in the chapter of Mark chapter 10, there's two different men that are, in a sense, illustrations or examples of that statement in that moment. The first one is a young man. He's called the rich young ruler in the Bible. We don't really have his name. We don't know why he was rich. We don't know what he ruled over, but he's called the rich young ruler. And it says that he comes to Jesus, and he actually approaches Jesus in an amazing way. It says he runs up to Jesus, and he falls on his knees before him. And he says, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's amazing that what Jesus says to him, he says, why do you call me good for the only one who is good is God? Are you saying that I'm God? Because I am. And if you are, it's about to get real for you. So he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this sounds so much like so much of humanity, maybe us even at times in this room where we think that we can add Two things, that we think that we can do things in our own effort, and our own strength, we can do enough good works, enough, enough good deeds to appease God, to earn our way into heaven, to earn our way into a good life, into eternal life. And so Jesus answers the man, well, he says, you know, you know what you're supposed to do, you know the commandments, you know, love your neighbor, love your parents, don't murder, don't lie, don't, don't commit adultery. Oh, yeah, 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 Jesus, I've done all of those things since I was a little boy. Okay. It says that Jesus looked on him in love and and loved him deeply. It's just an amazing statement there in Mark 10. And then he says, one thing that you lack. Now, I'm sure that this prestigious, rich, well-known man in that moment did not like hearing that he lacked something. But he knew it. He knew he lacked something. There's no reason, if he didn't know it, that he would come and run and fall at the feet of Jesus. He he would not ask Jesus what I must do for eternal life if he already knew that he was following the law in his own mind the best that he knew how. But he lacked something. There was a longing. There was an unsatisfaction, an unfulfillment inside of him that no money, no status, no prestige could get him. No possession could, could do for him. And then Jesus says, okay, you want me? You want real life, eternal life? You really think that I'm the good teacher? You really think I'm God? Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And it says that that man got up. He was grieved because he had a lot and he didn't choose to follow Jesus. I'm I'm amazed at that moment. I'm also amazed at Jesus' response. See, Jesus didn't just... Chase after the man. oh no i 'm so sorry, I offended you, and uh, i 'm sorry i 'll make it more palatable for you i 'm trying to create a brand here i 'm trying to create a ministry and a movement and i 'm really trying to you know build up my ministry right now and try to you know, try to help people uh, surround me and, and, and do something really great in life and be an influencer for god and, and so hey, you know maybe we 'll just start at twenty five percent why don 't you just go sell twenty five percent of what you have? Maybe, you, maybe we can negotiate this and bargain this out. maybe just go sell fifty okay well, let's just, let's go Let's do this in stages, all right? 25, and then 50, and then 75, and then maybe one day, right before you die, you you can give all of it away. No. That didn't happen. He walked away, and Jesus was grieved, I'm sure, in his own heart, but he wasn't going to settle, compromise, and negotiate what it actually looks like to give your life to Jesus. It's everything. It's full surrender. It's not Jesus, come and bless me and help me live a good life so I can be comfortable. No, it's Jesus, I'm a mess, and I need you, and here is all of me, and come and fill the void and the longing in my soul that only you can fill and satisfy me fully and completely, completely. And that is what Jesus does. The second man that was a picture of what Jesus said was not the person that you and I would probably choose to be the poster child of what it looks like to follow Jesus. There's this blind man on the side of the road begging, because he's poor, he has nothing, he's blind, he's an outcast in society, and he hears that Jesus is coming around. He hears that Jesus is coming by, and he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In that statement of Jesus, son of David, he is shouting from his absolute Full being, I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you are the Christ. I believe that you are the King who's going to sit on the throne of David forever and ever and ever. Yeah. And I need you and I want you. And the crowd says, Hey, this isn't what we do right now. That's not, a, that's against protocol. You're making people feel uncomfortable. You need to be quiet. You need to calm down. You're too intense. You're too passionate. And he doesn't let them stop him. He doesn't let them be, make him be quiet. He shouts even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears him and says, Hey, come here. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. Jesus instantly heals him. His sight is restored. And then it says, And then he followed Jesus. He followed Jesus. The one who followed him be- was like a child who knew he needed Jesus, who knew nothing else would satisfy, and he wanted Jesus at whatever the cost. There is a cost in giving your all to Jesus. But I'm telling you, when you experience him, when you receive him, when you allow the Lord to satisfy your soul, you recognize that it was always worth it. Jesus is the treasure in the field that when one finds that treasure, sells everything that they have to buy that field so that they would have him. Maybe you're here today and you have grown up in church, but the way I'm talking about Jesus right now, you've never experienced for yourself. Maybe you're here today and you've never been in church or it's been a long time. And you have that void. You have that emptiness. You have that, that longing in your life. You're looking for something, for someone to, to fill that void and satisfy that part of your life. That nothing has been able to do it up to this point. I want to encourage you today. I want to invite you today to look to Jesus, to look to him for everything you are looking for is found in Jesus. If you're looking for love, Jesus is love personified and demonstrated. If you're looking for peace, he is the prince of peace and will speak peace over the storm of your life. If you are looking for joy, he is the fullness of joy, anointed with the oil of gladness. If you're looking for power, there was no one more powerful. He is the all-powerful God. If you're looking for wisdom, in Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you're looking for healing, he is the healer. If you're looking for provision, he is the provider. If you're looking for rescuing, he is the savior. If you're looking for truth, he is the truth. If you're looking for direction and guidance, he is the way. If you're looking for comfort, his spirit is the comforter. If you're looking for friendship, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you're looking for a fresh start, a new life, he is life itself and he makes everything brand new. If you're feeling dry and you're feeling empty, he is the fountain of life that never runs dry and he will fill you to overflowing. Jesus himself is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is, wants to be the lover of your soul. Look to Jesus. Look to him. Nothing else will do. I believe that there's people here today that Jesus wants to heal your body. He wants to heal your mind. Some of you are struggling with torment of of night terrors. You're struggling with depression and anxiety. You're struggling with insecurities and self-esteem. Jesus wants to come and heal your mind. That crown of thorns was pressed into his skull. The one Jesus who wore heaven's crown, who possesses all wisdom and all knowledge, the one and only great king, gave up that heavenly crown and put on a crown of thorns too small for his head that was pressed into his skull so that he can heal our brokenness and we can have his mind. This is our Jesus. This is the one that we know. This is the one we have seen. We have experienced. We have felt. We have received from. This is the one who is real life, Jesus. Will you stand with me today? What I'm sharing with you this morning is not a theory. What I'm sharing with you this morning is not a teaching. What I'm sharing with you this morning is not a ritual that you practice. What I'm offering you today, what I'm inviting you into today is a relationship with a real man, the God man who loves you desperately, who left heaven for you to come to you in your mess, in your brokenness, and your addictions to come and set you right, to set you free, to bring you real life, to bring you full satisfaction of your soul. You can try everything else in this life, and it will leave you empty and dry. Jesus will come, He is the river of life, He is the water of life and He will quench your thirst and you will want nothing else when you've tasted of him. So maybe you're here t- this morning and you don't have this relationship with Jesus that I'm speaking of. you may know about him, but you don't know him. You may have heard about him before, but you've not experienced him for yourself. I want to invite you to begin that journey of relationship. It's simple. It starts simply by saying, Jesus, I want you. I don't want to lead my life anymore. I give you full permission in my life to make it how you want. You see, Jesus doesn't offer us a step-by-step self-improvement plan. He is not a self-improvement program. He is come, give me your life, and you'll have my life. He is a from death to life he is a from darkness to light a brand new life in him and unfortunately in many ways and in many places we have tried to dumb down and make the gospel of Jesus Christ palatable and comfortable what i'm offering you today is a person jesus So if you're here this morning and you don't know him and you want to know him and you want to receive him and experience him for yourself in a real intangible way, maybe you used to follow him, maybe you used to have a relationship with him that was active and alive and fresh, but it's, you've walked away, it's grown stale and cold. Today's your day. Don't wait another day. Come back to Jesus. Return to Jesus. Run back to him today. He's standing with his arms open wide. You aren't promised tomorrow. Don't wait another day. So if you're here today and you want to receive Jesus, just raise your hand. Raise your hand high enough for me to see. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? If you raise your hand, we're we're not wanting to embarrass you. We're simply wanting to be able to pray with you and connect with you. If you could just come right up to the front here, we would just love to be able to pray with you. Come on up. It's okay. Come on up, sweetheart. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Come on. Jessica, could you come on up with it here? Yeah. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we do this, church, all of us together. Let's just pray this prayer. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, those of you who came up front, repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender everything to you. I believe that you are the Son of God. That you died on the cross for me. That you're alive today. Forgive my sin and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to know you. I choose to follow you and make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you came came forward, I I want you to go with Pastor Nick off to the side or something right over here. We just want to connect with you. We want to be able to follow up with you and pray with you. So, Nick, I'll let you take that however you want that to go. We're going to go into a time of worship in just a moment. If you're here and you need to, you need prayer for your body, you need healing in your body, you're in pain, you've been diagnosed with a condition, you've been diagnosed with a sickness, we want to pray for you, Jesus is here to heal you. If you're here today and you're struggling with any kind of addiction, pornography, substance abuse, alcohol, drugs, Jesus is here to set you free. So if you're here today and you need prayer for those things, come up to the front. We want to pray for you. We're going to worship. Church, let's go after the Lord. Let's give him praise. Let's give give him the glory and honor that is due his name. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Let's put our attention on him. Let's look to him. Jesus, only you satisfy. Only you satisfy, Jesus. And we love you, Lord. We give you all glory, Lord. You're so good.